Now, who could forget the timeless classic, Pretty Woman? Well, Julia Roberts plays a prostitute that lucks up and meets a millionaire and they fall in love. Well, let's see what happened in the real version of Pretty Woman. I worked at a couple of fast food places. Parked cars at wrestling. I couldn't pay the rent. And I was too ashamed to go home. That's when I met Kit. She was a hooker and made it sound so great. Okay. You gotta get the fuck out of here. Lights, camera, action. Welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour Films. As you all know, I'm Ross Bacon. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike McGuigan. Mike, say hi. How's everyone doing? Ross clearly hasn't killed himself yet. We'll see if he has any surprises in store for us live. <laughs> yet, being the key word there. Um, but yes, it is. Uh, we are two dudes who like, talk about pieces of shit. Um, tonight, we are unfortunately but also fortunately at the end of rom-com roulette my wife's month-long thaw trap for mike and i um we have seen a lot of garbage this month mike has been more favorable because mike has a soul i have been in the fifth level of hell because rom-coms are literally the worst things that i can ever imagine and i've had to watch i joined you this week yeah and i've had to watch the worst of the worst this week now our good movie that we get is kindergarten cop so we're definitely going to start off talking about that which you can also kind of consider a (laughs) rom-com because there is a romantic subplot to it and it is a that's like with rom-com it's such a like i'm like there are movies that have romantic and comedic elements i'm just like they're not (laughs) rom-coms right yeah but then because we haven't talked about her yet we have to talk about america's sweetheart julia roberts the worst human being in the history of human events and yes jared leto well, yeah, there's Jared Leto. But yes, I'm including that dude in Germany in the 40s. I'm including, like, Stalin and Mao. I'm including Pol Pot. I'm including <laughs> Kevin James. I'm including Jared Leto, Julia Roberts, and Rebel Wilson. Not even as bad as Julia Roberts. You know, Julia Roberts is the peak of the garbage human being mountain and the completely undeserving of fame mountain. She's the queen of it. And we're going to talk about two reasons why tonight in Pretty Woman and My Best Friend's Wedding, which, oh boy, that was the one. That was the one that would have, you would have heard the cylinder turning on microphone. You would have heard the click and the bang and my body dropping to the floor because fuck that movie hard. For all of the reasons that we'll get to. But before we get into that, though, Mike, what are you drinking? All right. So I'm doing another week of cleaning out my refrigerator because I've gone way too long without doing that. And I decided to make the most sickeningly sweet snake bite I could Uh 
because of these fucking movies and being like too goddamn whatever the fuck they are. What? Yeah, they're. Uh, what? They're so, just mean. <laughs> so I got two drinks that are very good on their own, but they're both extremely sweet drinks. And that is 1911 Double 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 Toil and Trouble Candy Corn Hard Seltzer or Hard Cider and Axe and Arrows Glazed and Confused Cream Ale with Lactose and Vanilla Beans. So this is sweet. This is really sweet. (laughs) And yeah, if you drink too much of that, you're getting heartburn. (laughs) Or diabetes, I don't know. You're just getting all of the things that come along with drinking nothing but sucrose. But um, yeah, so in honor of the legend himself that we're going to start talking with about in our legend of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the true <laughs> Austria sweetheart of romantic comedies, I am I'm back on my bullshit with my October fast beers. And I'm in brood in Germany. Hacker Thor Oktoberfest Mazen. Which I'm sure I didn't I pronounced Hacker right because that's how it's spelled. But then Shore is P-S-C-H-O-R-R. So since fourteen seventeen through today, Hacker Shore is considered the special beer for heavenly day-to-day moments. We call it heaven in Bavaria. You call it Hacker Shore. Now it's your standard Marzen. It is five point eight percent and is delicioso. Uh, so, in honor of the greatest thing to ever come out of Austria, aside from the fictional. Sister, he has in Kindergarten Cop. I drink this Hacker Shore. It's probably the last enjoyable thing I do tonight. So there we go. Now, on to the part that Mike and I will probably be happy to talk about because it's an actually fun, good movie. Kindergarten Cop, 1990. Now, I love this movie. <laughs> it's amazing. Now, before we do dive in, I did just realize that we haven't talked about the other possibilities for this month, this week, like we always had. Now, there is, there were two others. There's two other romantic comedies, legendary romantic comedies that we missed for this week. Now that was Sleepless in Seattle, and you've got mail. So we missed out on Hank instead of Julia Roberts. Yeah, and that's because there is no God. There never has been, and there never will be because of this shit. <laughs> So let's discuss Ivan Reitman's masterpiece of Kindergarten Cop, aka the movie you'll always forget starts off as like a hard boiled cop movie. <laughs> now, this movie has one of my favorite lines of all time You're not Is so it? tough without your car, are you, bitch? Such a great line. The <laughs> Pamela Reed in this movie is phenomenal. She's so good, and she, it's it's so great when she pretends to be Arnold's sister when they're out of dinner. It is absolutely phenomenal. But, of course, like I said, you'll always forget that this movie begins like a hard-boiled cop movie, where Arnold looks like, even though it's, what, nine years prior? Yeah. He, he 
comes out looking like he does an end of things. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he starts this movie that way with the fakest beard you've ever seen as well, which is rough because if you look at Arnold now, he's like capable of growing a pretty solid beard. You know, it's like, what were they doing? Did they just not have the time back then? Like, did they, did he have to be clean shaven back then? Which he might have had to do, you know, the nineties were a weird time. Yeah. Yeah. The nineties were strange. But yeah, this movie, it's so wild because it it does start off as a hard cop movie and then it's like family comedy and then like, oh man, it gets kind of heavy with an abusive father in crime. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the whole story, other than Arnold becoming a great kindergarten teacher, the whole story revolves around this like mobster abusive father, like a strange father trying to kidnap his son back you know and it's like oh right his estranged father and the his crazy grandmother too who now this is the fun part his cullen is the um is the mobster's name which i i think i'll never forget because it's such a stupid name and it's even funnier because we're in oregon i believe we're in or are we in washington i think we're in oregon i think it's oregon and of course, we all know that we just talked about it a little bit to the north in Washington are the Collins, <laughs> the yeah. the Twilight Vampire, the Collins, you know. But it's such a stupid name. And the funniest thing is, the Kimball starts this movie cracking crisp is what he what he calls it. And he he's tracking crisp, and he gets a hold of him at one point, and he's uh, he's interrogating him. He's like, "Look, I want your suppliers, I want your dealers, I want all this." So it's like it. It assumes, or at least uh, never really gets into, the fact that there is this massive drug network going on in Portland or or like New York, I think is where they are, whatever. And the, no, or is it LA? I can never remember. I think it might be LA. But the thing is, we see his mom, Chris's mom, later pass drugs to a guy. So so the last witness for this um, murder that she sees, Ken O.D., so that really does kind of imply that the mother is the head of this gang. So at the end it's of the a, movie... It seems like it's a matriarch. <laughs> right. It's really at the end of this movie, it's like, okay, so like the thug is put out of his misery. And they did arrest the queen pin. So it's like, Arnold really does kind of bring down this drug ring. But this woman's too hard-nosed of a gangster, I think. You're even kind of, you know, give up anything. She's probably going to end up back on the street as well because she's mobbed up and all that. But it, it is funny that we do get that the most of the conflict in this movie is based around Arnie being a kindergarten teacher, obviously, because it's called Kindergarten Cop. But there is this weird, like, almost slightly better Arnold movie where it's kind of like Commando, but it's him against, like, this woman and her mob. I don't know, because I kind of love the, like, how unhinged, like, when you really think about this movie, it is dark and kind of unhinged, and I think that's, that's how I want it to stay. Like, I don't want it to be a traditional Arnold taking down all the bad guys. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, and (laughs) what makes it even funnier is that we do get the the wish fulfillment that pretty much everybody with like beating heart and a soul like wants to do is when Arnold punches the abusive father like beats the guy 
but he doesn't get to beat him within an inch of his life because this school is so shoddily run. These kids can just run outside. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone in the school can run outside when they're one of their teachers starts to beat someone. So he doesn't get the chance to like knock the dude's teeth like down his throat, but he does get to punch him a few times. And it is funny because even the principal, um, Linda Hunt, she's like, What did it feel to punch that jerk? You know, and everything it felt great. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants to do that to that guy. And of course he looks like like a 90s scumbag like father, too, you know, but it's there's so Which much I, good shit. Linda Hunt and uh Pamela Reed, they're my two favorite characters in this movie, if I'm being honest. Yeah, they are pretty great. They are pretty great. Um, The thing is, though, did you catch the, aside from Arnold, the arguably bigger star in this movie? Did you catch her cameo? No. It's Angela Bassett. She's a flight attendant on the flight in the beginning. Huh. You only briefly see her face, but she is a flight attendant on that flight. And it's like, holy shit, Angie Bassett. Like, I looked up her filmography. She had not done Boys in the Hood yet. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Well, wow. So this was like truly her almost breakout, you know? But <laughs> her, her first big movie that like she was hardly in. <laughs> right. If she had a little bit more screen time, it would be that it'd be like one of those movies where um where everybody's like, oh, you remember, like, yeah, but she was also in this. You know, she was the whatever in this. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. But, um, but yeah, I was like, holy shit, Angela Bassett. And I'm trying to scroll because I'm making sure. Yeah, she had done, like, a bunch of nonsense before this. I think she might have done an episode of ER or whatever. But um, then what the fuck? What the hell's happening right now? Oh, man. My phone just got really weird. All right, but yeah, so she does, she does this, and then she goes on to do um, Boys in the Hood in '91, so the next year, and then she becomes basically Angela Bassett after that. And yeah. the funny thing is, like, then you look at Pamela Reed. Like Pamela Reed does a great. She does. She plays Ruth on The Simpsons after this, or maybe actually, yeah, it was right after this. Uh, the single next door neighbor that moves in next to the, that. Um, um, Dar- Darlene from um, from Roseanne is their da- is her daughter, and like she moves in next door, and and then she kind of like like I can't honestly think of anything else that Pamela Reed has been in. You know, it yeah, doesn't just pop into my, my mind either. But but she is she's obviously great in this. And then there's Penelope Ann Miller, who was Penelope Ann Miller for a while. And then she went away for a little bit. And then she came back recently, I think within the last 10 years, and was like nominated for an Oscar, I think, at some point. And it's like, oh wow, it's like one of those actresses where you go, Oh my god, I forgot about Penelope Ann Miller. And then you watch this movie and you're like, Well, what happened? Like, why wasn't she bigger? You know? I know. So I think it's because she almost fills a very niche role. But not every movie, there's not that many movies that, like, I kind of see her role in this as her playing herself to an extent. And I just don't know how wide the appeal that is. Yeah. It's almost as if uh, they couldn't get Meg Ryan yet. But Michelle Pfeiffer was a little too sexy, you know. <laughs> well, Michelle from 1990, Michelle Pfeiffer was like too dangerous and sexy looking, you know. But funnier part is, 
that we will discuss Michelle Pfeiffer again because she was up for pretty. She was in consideration for Pretty Woman as well. Now, the funniest part is who they were deciding to put against her in the Richard Gere role, which I'm telling you, they need to go back and make that movie. <laughs> they need to use, we need to use all of our AI powers to put this man back in the pretty woman and just re release it and not say a thing about it. But that's to come. But then in this movie, we also get some pretty legendary kid actors. Like, there are some great kid actors. And it's, of course, the biggest one is Miko Hughes, who is the boys have a penis, girls have a vagina kid. He's also, of course, the roadkill in Pet Cemetery. He is also every little creepy kid you've ever seen in a horror movie. Like, that's Miko Hughes. And then we get the Matterist twins. And we get Ross Malinger, who is from Sleepless in Seattle. And then there's the kid who doesn't get named in this, but since my wife and I have said numerous times, we've been watching Seinfeld a ton. He's the he's the kid that curses, and his dad has the froze the uh, the fat free in quotes frozen yogurt uh, store. <laughs> he's the one that calls Jerry a funny fuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he's briefly in this as well. But and the thing is with this though, the kids have to be just as like insane as Arnold has to be out of place and all these kid actors are so good at doing that that you're like oh believe this as a kindergarten class but I also believe this as a kindergarten kids that actually like straighten up and fly right because of and like I I want to see the set when all the kids are like using Arnold as a jungle gym essentially (laughs) right exactly yeah Especially since this is right, obviously, this is in the height of Arnold's powers. This is one of those many movies that he did where he had a full gym set up on set, you know, so he could work out. Now, I'm sure because he was famous for doing this, he was famous for turning other of his co-stars like into kind of gym rats. Like he would do that, too, because they worked on a movie with Arnold. And he worked out with them. They went on to like have the. Like, Are you implying Arner- Arnold was leading a kindergarten weightlifting class, getting the most jacked seven-year-old you'd ever seen? <laughs> Say, Mike, this is seven years before you, but I was eight years old when this came out, and we were in the height of the presidential physical fitness uh, test, which is what Arnold helped come up with. So yes, I can definitely see him molding these kindergartners into shape. <laughs> nah, give me ten more. Nah. Nah. It's like what he does to Zach when he's doing the push when he's doing the sit-ups, he's like, ah, one more. Come on, one more. Yeah, Zach is the winner. <laughs> he's like spotting him on the bench. Come on, one more rep. Come on. <laughs> Come on, what you're doing? Carl Weathers did twice this. Come on. <laughs> what's wrong with you kid <laughs> like all oh, you pansy come Carl on Weathers is only twice as strong as a kindergartner <laughs> I know I I'm saying that Arnold would use that as the measuring tool for everybody else <laughs> like oh my god I gotta be better than Carl Weathers <laughs> even little kids <laughs> Wait, dude. Uh, like, this movie it was like a weird or this was like when they're trying to turn Arnold into like a family star as well as an action star. Yeah, this and, and this and is this the movie is... that does it the best because they blend that like his purpose is to be out of place. But then you get things like the last action hero or um 
Oh god, what was the Christmas one? Jingle all the way. Jingle all the way. Like they're fun, but they're not they're not close to this. No, no. This one is this this movie's significant for a couple reasons for Arnold. One, it is the step into comedy that everyone was like, he can't do that. Like he can't be wholesome comedy. And he was like, Yeah, well, my entire existence is about doing things that people tell me I can't do. So by you putting that into the universe, I will make it happen. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, so we kind of brought this on ourselves. Okay, got it. But then after this is when he does T2, and then he goes on to do Last Action Hero, which everyone was kind of like, oh, no, this is this this is a, a step too far, you know? Even though if you put that movie out now, it's wildly successful because it is everything that we like to do with movies now. It's self-referential. It's got the guy that's making fun of himself. It's got everything in it. And everyone will be like, this is amazing. But then he does True Lies, and then, of course, he does Junior, and he had, the only thing before this that he had was Twins in 88, and everyone's like, yeah, him and Danny DeVito, they're great, you know, but Kindergarten Cop was like, right after Total Recall, he's still doing, like, the serious action stuff, but he's also trying to branch out and do these other things, but this is also kind of the turning point as well for Arnold in... Everyone in this movie, uh, except for the men, because there really aren't any other men in this movie. It's just all women. Everyone in this movie is designed to either make Arnold look gigantic, being, you know, a bunch of six-year-olds, or they do nothing but exist to ogle and, like, salivate over Arnold. And that's kind of, like, what he did going forward he at least tried to make every movie have some sort of reference or someone looks at him like oh my god this man is a walking mountain yeah it's 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 the formula that the rock has now made his own and it's 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 really funny because arnold while yes at the time he had and he still kind of does because he's arnold but he had the biggest ego in the world but the thing was he wasn't afraid to do something like this or twins like he wasn't afraid to try to be funny and either fail spectacularly or make it so such a great failure that everyone was like, you know what? This is endearing. Like, this is a pretty fun, endearing mistake that he has. Whereas The Rock is taking all of the wrong notes from Arnold. He's taking all of the 80s action notes from Arnold. And he's not doing the I my characters have weaknesses thing anymore. Like, motherfucker, we know you did the tooth fairy. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has seen your attempts at children's comedy. <laughs> that Just we, come out and say you all saw the game it. plan. We all... <laughs> right. Just come out and say you suck at it, and that's why you're not doing it anymore. You know? Or no, he can and never like, the rock could have kept doing stuff like um the rundown. Where, like, yeah, he was easily the most badass person in that movie, but he also got fucked over when people gave him, like, hallucinogenic fruit and stuff. <laughs> right. And I believe, I can't remember, I think one of those movies, Arnold has an uncredited cameo in. <laughs> and it might be the rundown. <laughs> All I know is, I'm trying to remember what it is, I'm, I'm not going to bother looking at it, it's going to be longer than it needs to be. As far, I think The Rock walks into like a club or something and Arnold walks past him like walking out it's kind of like oh there's fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger but, but yeah and it's the funny the best part about this movie 
Aside from the fact that it shows you that Arnold Schwarzenegger is not afraid to do anything, <laughs> he'll do what he'll do whatever the fuck. The best Even though part he's about the this movie is the line, he's like, "I have a headache. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. It's not." <laughs> but he's not afraid to throw himself into these like this slapstick comedy at times in this stupid kids movie because he's the most famous person in the world, the most famous action star in the world at the time. And he's like, fuck it. I'm going to do this. What do I care? I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but even better is that this movie alone gave us pretty much every Arnold soundboard that's ever been created. <laughs> Almost every line he has in this movie has been used on that Arnold soundboard and that like, phone calls yeah, that's, I'm like, there's some bed. Terminator ones, T2 Terminator ones, but then, yeah, a lot of it is this movie. <laughs> it's mostly this, yeah. Like, the, I'm hello. The pooper. Hi, I'm the potty pooper, yeah. How are you? <laughs> Good. Now we're having fun. <laughs> All of it. But then what really cracks me up is the... Then there's just the, the 90s of it all, which... Is the general idea that because he's a man, he can't be a kindergarten teacher again? Because he has a penis, that just disqualifies him from the job. And it's like, well, sure, <laughs> and that's a very 1990 thing to say. But then there's also he's gay. What kind of man teaches kindergarten? He's obviously gay, and it's like, okay, most people in the have that attitude in the 90s would also not want that guy near their kids because they're also stupid enough to think that guy would be a pedophile, you know. <laughs> It's like it's like you're 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 a woman in the night like the woman saying that it's like you're a woman in the nineties. You don't think this next level about this shit, you know? Your first thought should be, well, why is he teaching? Like, why is this giant teaching kindergarten? Like no no one else in the history of the school district has ever been this size or this Austrian. What's going on here? And why did our teacher of like 30 years Suddenly go on vacation, you know, even though she's never done that <laughs> and is replaced by this obvious cop, you know, this cop slash soldier, maybe or some guy. <laughs> yeah, that's, this is like, like, that's like the most clear situation of like, this person doesn't, I mean, it's the joke, but it's like, this person is clearly involved in some sort of special forces. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> or he's a Terminator, you know, <laughs> or, or he's a Terminator. And it does crack me up because then we do get Arnold's reaction shots to what had to be a great day, like on set. And it's the Who's Your Daddy and What Does He Do uh, montage where all the kids get up and they talk about what their dad's doing. Of course, a couple of them are fun, like. Our dad says, our mom says our dad's a real sex machine. Then there's my dad's a gynecologist who likes his vaginas all day. But then there's the one kid towards the beginning that's just like, my dad doesn't do anything since the crash. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I want to see what that kid's dad is doing. We need to cut to his dad with whatever his daily life consists of. (laughs) Yeah, and then like, the story of this movie does work for me, too, like, outside yeah. of the comedy. And, like, it leads to the climax of this movie works for me as an action set piece. It is. It really does. Yeah, it really does. And, of course, like you said, we get the great line, not so tough without your car, are you, bitch? You know? And then <laughs> what even cracks me up is that the reason 
at all that Arnold even becomes a teacher is because Pamela Reed's character gets food poisoning or a stomach bug is what they call it. But no, it's a, it's fucking food poisoning. She's eating vending machine sandwiches out of like the police department vending machine. She's absolutely getting food poisoning. But at one point, of course, she does get better like a day or two in. And Arnold is like, a, he's at the point where he's like, I can't do this, whatever. And he has such a great line where he says there, he's like, you should be reading stories about bears that go shopping. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would pay a lot of money to see Arnold Schwarzenegger read a story about bears that go shopping. <laughs> if Arnold Schwarzenegger were to read me like the Bearstein Bears, like that would be amazing. <laughs> Phenomenal. Yeah. And then, I mean, even and yeah, at the very end, we do get that the great like the school is on fire action sequence. It ends in the boys' locker rooms, and it's uh, it's pretty great. But and this movie isn't afraid, like because it's a '90s movie. What's afraid to get a body count going? Like we have a dude get iced in the beginning of the movie, and then we have this dude. We have a dude get beat the fuck up for a race car set too. Like Chris not beats that dude to shit with his car door. I was like, oh, okay. And then, of course, he gets gut shot at the end of this movie. But it's it's even funnier because then you look at it and you go, oh, this movie's over. Like, it moves. Like, this movie oh, yeah. starts and is done. And you're like, oh, I'm not here for two hours and 15 minutes, <laughs> you know, like I would be today, you know? It's, yeah, it's absolutely very economic with its pace. Hour 50-minute runtime, like, this goes right, like, moves right along. And you don't, there's nothing like that you need to cut either. Like, you don't even need to make it shorter. Like, an hour and 50 minutes is pretty much the perfect runtime for this movie. And I'm like, I, I'm not surprised at also, like, but the estimated budget for this movie was $15 million. Worldwide gross, $200 million. Not yeah. surprising at all. Because it's Arnold. And everyone's it's like, Arnold, what? and it appeals to such a large group of people. Like, because it's yeah. Arnold, you'll still get, like, the action fans and stuff like that. But you're also, because of the concept, you're getting families and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty great. Um, there's, <laughs> there's so many, like, okay, like, this, this is, like, almost like a cliche in this movie. Like the kid, like the kid Dominic. Um, he's got he's that little like cute little blonde kid, and he's just adorable. He's such a little scamp, but he's also like he also wants to help because he's a little smart kid that knows it all. When in reality, this kid has seen some like shit. Like he's always running in fear that the quote unquote bad people will be after him to the point where he has created quote lasers that are just tinfoil that he is willing to risk his life to put on top of a radio tower. I was like, this kid after this is then held hostage at gunpoint by his real father, who was then not dead in front of him. And all this kid will do later in life is become a guy that storms the Capitol. He will... Or, or he becomes like, like uh, what's it called? Like um, Gerard Butler in Law Abiding Citizen. Right. Yeah, he's definitely not becoming like a teacher. He's becoming a guy that doesn't leave his house and is living off the internet. You know. <laughs> yeah, they actually this is the prequel to uh 
falling down <laughs> where he goes to work for the the defense department making weapons and then eventually just has a total breakdown and goes on a violent rampage through the city Dude, we, how have we not done falling down on this show it's such a great movie. i don't know we got to figure out a way to get that movie in here because it's so good and I, it's been so long since i've seen it and Oh man, it's, it's and it's just got Michael Douglas as like basically Dobrik goes on like a just a violent spree, <laughs> and yeah, but it's this movie. It's so good because it begins like a hard boiled cop movie and it ends like a hard boiled cop movie, and somehow in between, we had this fun little fun little kids movie where our Schwarzenegger is a teacher, you know. <laughs> That was the '90s. That was the '90s because again, this fits the '90s kids movie formula. You know, it's a kids movie, but somehow there's a weird mafia plot involved. <laughs> it's true. I mean, for fuck's sake, Kathy Moriarty's in this movie. <laughs> but it's this is this is definitely the good one, and it's. I'm so glad that I saved this until the end to watch because had I come into this fresh off of either of the two we're about to talk about. I would I would have this would have been a lot angrier, I think. Would have been a lot angrier. I did the opposite. I watched this first. I, no, no, I had to save this and I knew this this needed to be the palette cleanser, you know? And it couldn't be the one between the two because I knew they were equally going to be shitty, but I didn't I did not expect my my best friend's wife to be as shitty as it was. That but, movie is so fucking terrible. But we'll get into it. So, Mike, tell us how your abomination is. It's an abomination for sure. I do not condone the uh, these breweries to get together for this collaboration. I can I've tried it for you. It doesn't work. Now, I love Axe and Arrow in 1911 individually. This one, this ain't the mix. It, it ain't it. <laughs> it's just not it, boys. How dare you all get together? Nothing real between Mike. How dare you all get together in Mike's head and create an abomination? But my uh, Maca Shaw, my Tolbefest Mazen, brewed in Germany. Very good. And uh, I think Arnold will be proud of it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I'm going to move on to doing Ellicottville Brewing Company. It's going to be their fall festival lager. But I'm not done with my Hacker Shore yet, so that's going to have to wait a second. But we do have to get to the better of the two in Pretty Woman. Again, 1990, so this is the same year as Kindergarten Cop. Uh, Directed by Gary Marshall, not Peggy Marshall. Uh, Then, of course... There's Jason Alexander in this movie, who would become George Costanza not long after this movie was released, and become beloved throughout the, you know, the world. Thankfully, most people either don't remember he's in this movie, or they do, and they're like, well, good thing he became George Costanza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this movie, it pisses me off how iconic this movie is to like a large amount of people it's such it's such wish fulfillment garbage you couldn't pick I, I okay we've discussed this 
the Mike and I have the benefit of sharing family. I married into Mike's family, so we were at Thanksgiving together, and Mike and I were both talking about this. And neither of us understands how Julia Roberts became the the America's sweetheart beauty that she became. Because we just, uh, we just don't say I absolutely have never seen. That. I think she looks like a large mouth bass mixed with a horse. <laughs> and in this, though, it's like okay, I can almost see it, almost. But then there's Richard Gere. Richard Gere in this movie is like a pair of Mackies if they were off-white paint line. You know, the man is about as boring as you can humanly get. And my wife lovingly just corrected me. It's Penny Marshall, not Peggy Marshall. Yes, thank you, honey. <laughs> but we're both dead either way. <laughs> but it's... But, Arnold, I mean, Richard Gere is so blank in this movie, and it's purposely so. Gary told him, he's like, one of you is on, the other is not. He's the one that's on. What do you think that makes you? And I would be, I would, if I'm Richard Gere, I'm like, what the fuck am I here then? You know, why does it have to be me? <laughs> I'm going to do things. I'm an actor, Gare. Come on now. <laughs> but Mike and I mentioned that Michelle Pfeiffer, was almost Julia Roberts in this movie, which A, would have made it much, much better in my opinion because nobody hotter than Michelle Pfeiffer in 1990, except maybe Sharon Stone. Maybe Sharon Stone. But, <laughs> but your again, mom ain't no Sharon Stone, said. no Sharon Stone, said. But again, very close, and we are splitting hairs here when it comes to that. But Richard Gere was also almost not the person as well. Now, there were two different people, one of which not far enough in the ad casting process that he did sit down and do a, like a test reading with the script supervisor. Now, that man was one Christopher Reeve. Oh, God. A.K.A. Superman. Now, he got to the point where he was doing the test, test uh, reading lines with the script supervisor, who to his, and his quote is, that this woman was basically just focusing on the text and just reading the lines. So he got so pissed off that he wasn't getting anything back. He stood up and like fired the script that Gary Marshall was like, you don't do this to actors, Gary, and stormed out and quit the movie. Now, that's hilarious. But the other person they were considering for this role was Al Pacino. Oh, God. <laughs> now, just imagine. <laughs> hey, I don't care if Julia Roberts is the woman in this, if Al Pacino is Richard Gere. Imagine trying to keep a 1990 Al Pacino reined in like Richard Gere is in this movie. And like, it, not kind of, have it kind of sucks how much Richard Gere is reined in because, like, I mean, I'm a big fan of Primal Fear, and I like Richard Gere a lot in Primal Fear. And I'm like, you could you could have given him an edge, like. Yeah, you could have had him do anything. The only time he gets pissed off is when he rightfully should. When Jason Alexander, he walks in on Jason Alexander trying to rape Julia Roberts, you know? Which, in this lovely romantic comedy about a, a hoe turned into a housewife, it's the part I needed at the end of this movie. I needed an attempted rape. Because you know what? I was missing it, apparently. <laughs> and the thing is, though, but just imagine if this movie was Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. That is Scarface again. 
The Scarface beating up George Costanza raping Catwoman. (laughs) Oh my god, imagine that text. (laughs) Imagine that movie is Pretty Woman. That would have been probably the greatest movie of all time. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) In the perfect movie. I would have absolutely agreed with the people who were like, this is such a wonderful, loving movie. I'm like, yeah, I'm with when Al Pacino screams for no reason. Julie Roberts says she's trying to sleep. Yeah, that would be it. Can you imagine the Seinfeld episode after that? (laughs) He came in, shot a a grenade launcher at me. A grenade launcher. Grenade launcher right at me. Said say hello to his little friend. Jerry's the best. <laughs> like, like, just imagine the scene where they're at dinner and it's Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer are at dinner with Ralph Bellamy and his son. And they're talking about Al Pacino's talking about why he's going to take over Ralph Bellamy's company, split up, and make profit off of it. Could you imagine Al Pacino just talking about it? No. <laughs> He would lose his running mind. around the restaurant using his hands and other customers and to make his point. <laughs> Going nuts. It would be like it would be it would be fucking phenomenal if it was like him in heat. <laughs> That's what I want that to be like. I want that to be Al Pacino and Scarface and Heat. I want you to put those two together and I want that Al Pacino in pretty form. <laughs> Because that would be phenomenal. Because then he could even use his heat line of, she got a great dress. <laughs> would make sense. Would be great. And then having Hector Elizondo like, bend over backwards to make him happy would make sense because he'd be terrified of the man. But no. Instead, like I said, we get a pair of khakis watching paint dry and it's just oh just leaves everything to julia roberts nothing like this movie isn't necessarily offensively bad but it is offensively boring it is it really is and you can mostly thank that for being it's a disney movie this is a buena vista Productions. this is a fucking disney movie Um, oh god if this movie had some balls or was able to do more than just a I, w- I won't I won't say it's a half-assed attempted rape because it does get a little violent with the attempted rape. But he's not ripping underwear or anything. It's not like the end of wolf or anything like that. But yeah. It's it's definitely a movie where you can see Disney being like, look, this isn't this may be an R-rated movie, but this is still a Disney R-rated movie. So you We'll give you a prostitute in this movie as your main character, but she's going to have to be like a person who we only get told has sex for money. She's not going to actually get this. We're not going to actually get to see her be a hooker. We're not going to get to see her. She's going to act like a slob in this snobs versus slobs movie, but we're not going to get to see her doing anything actually like interesting as a prostitute. And the key scene would have been when they go to La Traviata, when they go to the the opera in San Francisco, and they're sitting there, 
And of course, this opera is about a hoe who becomes a housewife as well. Now, the funny thing would be, and the good part would be, and this would be some character building too, because it would show that he's letting his guard down and she's still not quite done being a hooker. If she, while they're watching that movie, is like jerking him off, like giving him a hand job up in the balcony or something. I mean, that would have been better than her just watching it and like crying. And I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, I don't want to go to this opera in person, let alone watch someone watch this opera. You know, this is this is stupid. I know the symbolism you're going for, Gary, but it's dumb. Yeah, this whole movie is again. Well, I, I'm not the target audience, but the why is there a target audience for this? It's like, what? Why did this movie get made? Figure that one out. It's a bunch of wish fulfillment, but how many hookers are out there waiting for their? I guess actually, there's a lot of people. Like honestly, probably probably quite a few. Never, I strike that. You know what? I'd love to marry into money. So fuck. (laughs) I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, I was just like, (laughs) what's happening here? But no, I mean, but it's like I get what you mean because. The wish fulfillment is almost twofold. It's almost because this is 1990. So this was made in the 80s. This was made in the late 80s. So this was right around when Bush One started, I'm guessing, is when this started, right at the end of Reagan. And this movie very much has the, oh, the taboo of picking up a prostitute. Even though Richard Gere is not picking up a prostitute when they meet. He just can't drive stick. And needs directions. <laughs> now, one of the things I, the, one of the most disbelievable things I have in this movie is that the lawyer can. <laughs> oh, Jason Alexander? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He, that's his car. That is his Lotus. So I'd be like, yeah. And it's also the 80s where most cars were manual as opposed to automatic. And especially if you buy a Lotus, you definitely want to drive it like a Lotus. So you know how to drive stick. And that's that was the thing with me, like, because I work in the car industry, and at, at times I will deal with expensive cars. So when I hear Richard Gear money shifting this fucking Lotus, I'm just like, oh, oh my god! Like I'm not a car guy, but this is hurting me, man. You gotta stop. <laughs> you really gotta stop. Someone's gotta either take over, or you need to learn, like right now. <laughs> you can't be grinding this thing, dude. Like you're killing it. You're killing it. <laughs> but again but then we get the situation where like Julia Roberts comes up to the car and she's like yeah hey, blah 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 she gets in and of course she knows how to drive a stick because she was raised by mechanics or some shit you know that standard story but how just fortuitous for Richard Gere and then when he does get her to the hotel he's kind of like oh maybe because I'm a millionaire and for some reason can't get a date Maybe I could just hire you to be the girlfriend. Give me the girlfriend experience for like a week. And then he haggles with, like, he wants to give her two. She says four. They compromise on three or something like that. And the thing is, though, that's only works out to about seven grand in today's money. And I'm pretty sure that's underpaying a good prostitute. Like, I yeah. think for the girlfriend experience for a week, I think they would require more than a thousand a day. You know? Yeah, you think so. Like, I remember there was a two and a half men episode like 20 years ago that he was like, how much can I get for 200 bucks? And Charlie's like, AIDS. 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're getting hit <laughs> for for a thousand a day. Which speaking of with Mr. Marshall and his sister, they both have very popular movies, legendary, some would say, with characters named Pit in them. One of which is a prostitute who just is just gutter trash prostitute is what this kid is. And then there's Penny's, which was the worst little sister you can ever possibly have in a league of their own. And the question is, who is the real kid in their lives? These are the two characters that they put this name to. There's just no coincidence that siblings would do this with that specific name. They had to know somebody. That's or someone at least with like the nickname or something, I guess. I don't know. Or who's actually naming their daughter Kit. Yeah, I know. That's and that's the other thing. Or maybe it was like a friend that was just named Kit, and the Marshall twin siblings were like, you know what? We're just gonna fuck with this person and make their name put their name on our most popular characters. I'm like one of our more popular characters, you know. But the character's gonna suck. So that person's gonna be like, why did you do this to me? Someone that they knew growing up. (laughs) Right, exactly. But it's it's even crazier though that to speak of the horse faced woman. In this movie, she does the improvised jewelry box slam. The gear did, and that is her legit reaction to it. She was legitimately shocked, and she legitimately brayed like a fucking horse. But this performance got her nominated for an Oscar. you got to be kidding me. And the only reason I could see that being is because, A, it takes place in L.A. B, she's the scum of the earth of prostitute that Hollywood likes to look at and go, well, they're trash, but she's bettering herself. Oh, look, she became a normal member of society. We have to applaud this performance because, could you imagine if one of those trash actually got their shit together? Oh, wouldn't that just be a crazy romantic dream? It's like, well, you're all garbage in Hollywood. We all know that. But you don't need to reward this shit performance from Julia Roberts. Like, yes, maybe Eric was like, look, my sister really wants to be an actress. Put her in this movie, Gare, and I'll do whatever garbage you want straight to video. I'll do it for you. You don't even have to pay me. And then Eric Roberts later in life was like, God damn it. You know, fuck. Look what I did to the world. But Which was funny because you- I was, literally was having the conversation with my barber that uh, about how he had just hung out with Eric Roberts all weekend, yeah. <laughs> like drinking with him. It's, it's such an amazing... I, I just want that life. I want that life for a weekend or whatever, however long it was. Just I want to be able to interact with Eric Roberts long enough that he says, let's just drink in a bar. And I'd be like, you know what, Eric? Let's do it. <laughs> I will ask you all about the Stalk by My Doctor series. I will ask you how the hell you got put the Dark Knight. I will ask every question about best of the best, too, and like all this shit. Like, yeah. I like, we need the talk. <laughs> like I need you to explain how I get your career <laughs> because dude of the two of you I can see why Julia became a star people find her attractive and charming you on the other hand are everything everyone seems to think you are which is apparently just like a cool dude but why does that not show through in your characters yeah 
what is happening here? What is this like brain fuck you have going on? Thankfully, though, she didn't win the Oscar for this. Kathy Bates came along in a little movie called Misery and took that one off her. You know? But again, I don't. In this movie, I can almost understand it. I can almost understand it because she is fairly good at doing the trying to better herself bit. But, and the fact that that story is even the story is not her fault. She's just the actress that sends the lines and is in the movie. She didn't write the, the movie. And so for America to be like, oh, she's a redhead. I don't. I don't think we have one of those. We don't have a famous redhead actress yet. Or haven't had one recently. Lucille Ball's been dead dead for a little bit. Or she hasn't been famous for a little bit. But let's just, you know, let's just make this woman famous because she's redheaded. It's like, oh, okay. And then she's able to, like, kind of cry when she needs to. So it's like, oh, all right, I guess nominated for an Oscar. It's like Ned Beatty getting nominated for being in four seconds of network you know but then you look at this and then you look at what she does after this with fucking my best friend's wedding and it's like everything that she all the goodwill that she built up prior to this could have been taken away we should have banished her to the likes of straight to video hell because that movie is a cancer and it's only a cancer because we let it start with pretty woman and as i'm searching imdb lucille ball died the year before this movie came out so apparently america needed a new funny redhead <laughs> and we weren't willing to look at amy yazbeck 10 feet away in this movie and be like you know what maybe her maybe her no apparently not her she gets robin hood men in tights while julia roberts gets a fucking career and it's disgusting I hate it, and I, I, I just hate the woman in general, because apparently, and this is confirmed by many, many people, she's a bitch in person. And it's like, look, if she was like Mother Teresa, I might be able to excuse her being a very off-putting actress. But the fact that she's famous for being terrible, and everyone looks past that, and then she's just complete entitled cunt now. No. Go to hell. Get fucked. You can take your Ocean's 12 little bit where you play yourself and shove it up your own ass. I don't care. You fucking suck. <laughs> you know, I think that's where we're going to call it on this podcast. We don't have to talk about the next movie. Unfortunately, Mike, we do. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, would, I would be remiss of saying that this soundtrack wasn't fucking... Because it's a it's a great soundtrack. It is a great nineties, eighties, and nineties. It's a great soundtrack. This soundtrack is good, and again, I don't think this movie is offensively bad. It's really boring, though. It's boring, and it's just the general idea of the hoe becomes a housewife and a nineties yuppie, you know, high powered businessman like corporate raider. Like the fact that he would even kind of give that up is in. For let's face it, for a fucking prostitute, no. that is, he could buy better prostitutes, you know, and he could tell them the story of how he took one of the dirt people in LA, you know, one of the skid row trash, and then it was like, I made her a presentable human being, 
I can do that with you too. <laughs> and <laughs> since you're a high class New York hooker, you're probably a lot better looking and you probably don't have that fucking horse laugh. And also we're going to spoil it here. Julia Roberts is not a natural redhead. She dies that shit. <laughs> so she can get fucked for that too. But we do have to get on to, unfortunately, <laughs> the last movie of rom-com roulette. So Mike, how is your abomination? Is it better than the one we're going to talk about? Marginally. It's Marginally. <laughs> Little. I mean, it's too sweet. Uh, I've sipped it a few times and I'm like, this is disgusting. What have I done? <laughs> oh God, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, my uh, my Ellicottville Fall Festival Nogger is Bird would select Bavarian hops And uh, yeah, they are in Ellicottville, New York And Little Valley, New York They are, uh, it's very good Very good So, alright Mike 1997 We are seven years removed from Kindergarten Cop and Pretty Woman We're also in the year that I'm born Mike comes into the world in, uh, what, January? Yep. Mike comes into the world, and he's screaming into the world because he knows that my best friend's wedding is coming out in June of that year. So he knows that when he is six months old or five months old, he's going he's gonna to suddenly hear the horse laugh of female ducky. <laughs> and... It's going to ruin the world. It's just going to ruin the world. Because this movie was the rom-com that kind of took over for a little while. Because I think Runaway Bride was after this? Question mark? Now, Runaway Ross, Bride was two years after. What's that Metacritic score? All right. I'm going to go ahead and hope. Hope. That it is in the 50s. You're correct. So, 53. 50. Oh. So, half thought it was good, half thought it was terrible. All right. Now, I'm pulling up the Rotten Tomatoes because I'm curious. It's got to be in, like, the 70s. It's It's got to be. You're Critics correct. are fucking stupid. They're fucking stupid. Even Roger Critics Ebert were- gave this to... Got 74. It. Jesus Christ. Audience Roger score, e- 7-3. Jesus Christ. Fucking stu- this is how stupid we were in 1997. Even Roger Ebert gave this thing like two thumbs up or three out of four stars or whatever the fuck he did. Because at that point, I think Gene Siskel was dead, so he couldn't rightly call it garbage. But even though that, that man was complete fuck anyway, so he probably would have loved it as well. <laughs> but this movie... Starts with probably the most annoying opening credit sequence ever made. And that's the like the bride with her bridesmaids singing wishing and hoping and whatever the fuck that old ass song is. Oh, this movie made me hate Cameron Diaz. Ah. Uh, see, on the other hand, this is the movie where I was I felt bad for Cameron Diaz because she should have been the star of this movie. But or the writing this movie, was made her so annoying. Well, that's the thing. She had to be 
less than a character because Julia Roberts had to be the quote unquote star. So they took the person. They this Cameron Diaz's character starts off normal. She starts off normal. She starts off just in love and wants her own, like she has her own thoughts at, at one point. But then Dylan McDermott is going to break up with her. So she has like an emotional breakdown at in like a bar and basically outright disavows or, you know, disowns all of her hopes and dreams in life and basically says, please don't break up with me. I'll do anything to make you happy. I will leave all of my dreams in the shitter and I will become a miserable human being just so I can be with you. You hair lip motherfucker. And it's right there. When that scene happens, it's so a, it's uncomfortable to watch because Cameron Diaz is like legit thing in that scene. And you really do feel for her character. Like, having this emotional turmoil that she's simply giving up her entire life to be with a dude. Yeah. And then you're also supposed to be like, Oh, well, Julia Roberts's plan isn't working. How will she break these kids up? Because we are conditioned at this point to see the rom-com as our hero, Julia Roberts needs to get the man in the end. So we are supposed to be rooting for her, even though he is absolutely the worst human being who has ever existed. And I'm not just talking about the woman herself. I'm talking about her character. Julia Roberts, A, is a food critic, so fuck off right there. B, she's in, that's like publishing adjacent, so fuck off again. And then there is the line, I've got exactly four days to break up a wedding, steal the bride's fella, and I have no idea how to do it. Well, here's a start. Maybe fucking don't. Maybe just let him live his life and don't ruin it. Just because you are a little jealous and a little pissed at yourself or never saying you love your best friend. Right there. Just stop. And that's why Rupert Holmes, uh, not Rupert Holmes, <laughs> Rupert Everett's character, Rupert Holmes in this would be better. He's just singing the Pina Colada song the whole time. That'd be fucking great. But no, Rupert Everett is just in this movie for about a scene but he's the gay best friend. And he, the gay best friend, not being in a rom-com, is kind of criminal in its own right. Yeah. Now, I will... The one part of this movie that did make me kind of laugh is uh, Rupert Effort. Like, just how out of his way he's going to embarrass oh. her. He's great. He is phenomenal. <laughs> he really is good. But yeah, other than that, this movie, I was miserable the whole time. Uh, I, mom watched it with me. I was like, mother, how were rom-coms allowed like this? <laughs> because again, America loved Julie, uh, Julie Roberts. She was America's sweetheart. And it's even more ironic that she was in the movie America's Sweetheart. Another movie where garbage people get what they want. And it is the fact that this is everyone looked at this movie. And they said that it was turning the rom-com formula on its head. And it's like, well, no, all you're doing is gender swapping the fucking characters. That's all you're doing. Instead of making it a guy trying to get the girl, you're making you know, the girl trying to get the guy. You're making it the girl is a the villain, basically, and doing all of this despicable shit to try to get the guy. As opposed to being like in love with two people 
where the normal formula would have been Cameron Diaz is or like isn't even in the picture or she's the other girl that Rupert uh, Everett is in love with and Dylan uh, McDermott, uh, Dylan, not Dylan, it's Dermot Mulroney, not Dylan McDermott. <laughs> he would have been a better shot. Dermot Mulroney. And Dermot Mulroney is like the hometown guy. He's the Josh Lucas of this movie. Whereas the uh, Patrick Dempsey of this movie is Rupert Everett. And then Julie Roberts has to choose between the two of them. But no, what we do get is Cameron Diaz is a person who's just trying to live her life and be in love with her fiance and get married. And the, she just happens to be the daughter of the owner of the White Sox, <laughs> you know, which is its own kind of hell. But she's just trying yeah, to you're live. You're the daughter her... of the second best Chicago baseball team. Yeah. The other of which has been first at this point for hundreds of years, for a hundred years. You're essentially <laughs> the baseball equivalent of the Clippers or the Jets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There well, are yeah, fans. So I guess the Mets would be the equivalent of the Jets, but you know. Well, the Mets would be the White Sox in this situation. They, they would. Because <laughs> the Cubs really would be the Yankees if you go by popularity. But if you go by like evil versus good, like in the sense that how people look at the teams, the Cubs would be the Mets and the White Sox would be the Yankees, <laughs> because the White Sox were like the 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 prison thugs of the of the American League. You know, these this is the this is the stadium in the seventies decided to have a fuck disco night, so they were going to burn disco records and. Turns out that's a bad thing to do when a bunch of drunk baseball fans in the seventies are given fire. <laughs> Turns out you get a bad situation on your hands. But Cameron Diaz's character is basically just trying to like exist and be happy. And Julia Roberts comes into this thing with nothing but jealousy and hatred, and is just ruining her entire life, almost ruining Dermot Mulroney's life as well. But he's too stupid to realize it. Yeah. And she is essentially, she is just Ducky in this movie from Pretty in Pink, except at the end, she is forced to come to confront the he doesn't love you aspects of the of this entire thing. Whereas Ducky doesn't really come to that realization. He just kind of has it off screen and realizes he needs to be a friend. But he doesn't really get any kind of come up. It's Julia Roberts is basically, she becomes a like a super villain at the end of this movie everyone hates her and she's about to be attacked in a women's bathroom <laughs> by a gang of women never mind cameron diaz is about to kick her ass and yet he somehow gets to be the hero as well and she gets to have the happy ending too and it's it's just complete fucking garbage because everything in this movie could have been so much better if Eric Roberts was Cameron Diaz <laughs> and Cameron Diaz was Dermot Mulroney. Are we just going to replace all of Cameron Diaz characters with? There's something about Eric Roberts. That'd be great. <laughs> oh, that would, that would mean in the counselor that he would fuck a car windshield. Yes. <laughs> yes. I now need that to happen. But no, I'm talking about you put Eric Roberts in the Cameron Diaz role and you make Julia Roberts Everything else is exactly the same. Exactly the same. But yet, for some reason, Julie Roberts' actual brother is just there. Like, and it's just awkward the whole time. 
<laughs> or you make it like traditional rom-com where she's got to choose between the two and one of which is her actual brother. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> That's, yeah, this movie broke me. It's the dumbest of dumb rom-coms. It's so stupid. Like, it, again, it's one of those movies where I'm like, there's no characters. The ones that technically are characters are despicable. And who's supposed to think this is romantic? <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, though, there is an actor in this movie who has all of, I think, generously 45 seconds of screen time. And he uses that screen time to prove that he is the best actor in the entire cast and by far deserving of being in much better things than fucking my best friend's wedding. And he is a young man at the time named Paul Giamatti <laughs> who plays a bellhop in a hotel. I love Paul Giamatti. Right, who basically is trying to go around and smoking in the hallway outside of Dermot uh, uh, Moroni's uh, door. And he basically tells her, bitch, you can't smoke here. And she's like, what, are you going to arrest me? He's like, well, yeah, fucking, I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to have you thrown the fuck out. What's wrong with you? And then, she, then he kind of like, he feels sorry for her because she's clearly a pathetic creature. And he's like, you know what? Blah, blah, blah. She's whatever. Blah, blah. But the whole time, he is completely insignificant to the movie at all. He's his scene is steamrolled over. She barely learns anything from dog from talking to him. But the whole time you're looking at you go, Paul, I know this was 1997. You weren't quite Paul Giam. You weren't Paul Giamatti yet. But dude, you're better than this. You you yeah. your agent should have known <laughs> you were better than this, man. <laughs> but it's it's just it's just the fact that this character is so hateable and it's not even like sweet home alabama where we're supposed to there's an air of mystery as to why this character is such a nightmare to this town like why reese witherspoon as a young woman was apparently the unabomber in this town and was just terrorizing everybody but with this, we're basically told that Julia Roberts is, we were told immediately up front that Julia Roberts is garbage and every, all of her motivations are for the wrong reasons and she's awful. But we're supposed to be on her side for some reason. At no point does this movie tell us we're supposed to be rooting for Cameron Diaz to wake the fuck up be like, look, no, I, I want to be my own woman. I want to be independent. And if I'm married while well, I do that, that's fine. But I'm still going to have my own life, you know? Like, I'm still going to make my own choices for myself. And I'm not going to sit settle down with a scar-faced, ugly motherfucker like Dermot Mulroney, who is dead set on keeping a dead-end job as opposed to taking a job with the White Sox that would be, even though it's for the White Sox, would still be infinitely better than what he's currently doing. Like, I don't care what professional baseball, football, or basketball teams offer. Like, if they're offering me a job that's comparable to my current position, I'm taking it. Because I enjoy sports. Take it. Just take it, you know? And he's like a beat writer, too. He's like a sports guy as well. And this job is like in the PR department for the White Sox, you know? It's like, it's, it's basically the same thing, except you don't have to you don't have to find creative ways to say that 
you know, to, to try to keep your journalistic integrity or some shit like that. No, you just say that, hey, the White Sox are doing their thing. You give the corporate spiel and then you make all kinds of money. And, you know, and yet you're still in sports. You can still travel and see these games. Because a lot of the shit he talks about going to is like shitty college games. You know, that's like, dude, this is the major leagues. This is 1997. Baseball may be on the decline, but it's in the middle of a steroid era. And oh, you yeah. can absolutely have a job, you know? Like, what is the matter with you? You're going to get Mark McGuire. You're getting Mark right. McGuire. Right. Like, the, the White Sox are not going anywhere, anywhere as a franchise. You have a permanent job. And really, all you got to do is work during the season. And then in the offseason, hope none of your players do anything criminal, you know? And it's it's insane to me that when Julia Roberts does hunt down Cameron Diaz at the end of this movie in the bathroom, there's a bathroom full of women because, you know, it's the women's room. So Cameron Diaz comes out and she's rightfully righteously pissed with Julia Roberts. And then they like they have a little, you know, sisterhood movement moment or whatever the fuck. But when Julia Roberts says, and I want to help you find him, Cameron Diaz should say, okay. That's fine. Well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to punch you in the face right now, repeatedly. Then we're going to go find Dermot Mulroney. I'm going to marry him. Then I'm going to punch you in the face again on the altar. <laughs> and then you're going to come to our hotel room where we consummate the marriage while I'm punching you in the face. You know, <laughs> and in case you haven't caught the theme here, I'm going to be punching you in the face for quite some time. And the fact that none of that happens, the fact that we basically get sisters, you know, that's kind of the end of this movie. It's like, no, everything you've led up to, all of this is complete garbage. The fact that you want to give me a happy ending here, you can go fuck yourself. This is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. And then even they drag Rupert Everett back into this to give her that little happy ending. And it's like, I was, I was, a step away from thinking that they might actually try to make him straight for her at the end. You know, where he's like, you know what? I've been loving catching dick from all these attractive gay guys because I myself am an attractive gay guy. I've been loving doing that. But you know what? Because Julia Roberts needs a man at the end of this movie, I'm gonna be straight. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give up my life of being who I am and lie to everybody and go against how I my nature and become straight for this horsewoman. And that's basically what Cameron Diaz does when she the threat of losing Dermot Mulroney comes about. So why wouldn't Rupert Everett give up being gay for Julia Roberts? It's just as believable as anything else that happens in this fucking movie. Yeah. Oh, and we didn't even talk about, Mike, the scene that I sent you. At one point, Julia Roberts is wearing two pairs of sunglasses. <laughs> one on her head, one on her eyes. <laughs> and throughout the rest of the scene, there's either a pair on your face or a pair hanging from her shirt, or a pair on her head. She is never without two pairs of sunglasses in this, in like, in this, uh, this like lunch reception scene. That right there is just a sign of an awful character and awful filmmaking. Because no, at no point in continuity did anyone look and go, "Wait, why is this idiot wearing two sunglasses? <laughs> is that her thing? Did we have no? Right? Okay, give me the fucking pair of sunglasses, you bitch." <laughs> this- I just don't, I don't want to think about this movie anymore. Well, Mike, we don't have to. It's, uh, it's over. It's over. It's over. We're done. We're done. <laughs> Not your fault. 
It's not, not your, your fault, fault, man. It's not your fault. So, Mike, before we figure out what we're doing next, where can people find us on the internet? All right, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and just about anywhere else you get your podcasts from, thanks to Spotify Podcast. You also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Happy Hour Films Podcast. Cool. So, next week, December. Normally, we would find some way to work Christmas into this, but then we did the best of uh, last year, blah, blah. So, we've, we've done pretty much all the Christmas stuff that we can handle. So, we're going to do something a little different. Now, this will be our our last month before we start doing some long form themes. We're gonna we're gonna go for a little while because Mike and I brains have melted trying to figure out new shit to do every month. So we're gonna do the long form thing for a while. But last theme month theme we're gonna do movies that ended careers, and we're gonna pick three actors that did movies so bad that they pretty much ended their careers and. There wasn't any coming back from it. And then we're going to kind of throw a little twist in at the end. We're going to we're gonna do an unkillable career, despite all evidence that <laughs> it should have died. <laughs> but we're going to start off with a young man named Kevin Costner, and we're going to talk about The Untouchables, and then we're going to talk about Waterworld, which is the movie where everyone was kind of like, I think we're done with Kevin Costner for a while. So, and then, of course, you know, he did the, uh, how many Yellowstone spinoffs are there? I think there's two million, three million maybe? Yeah, that's one of the biggest shows I've never watched. (laughs) I think it's the entirety of the Paramount Network. Like, not Paramount Plus. Like, I'm talking about the Paramount Cable Network. So, like, when you go on that, it's like, here's your Yellowstone show. And you're like, well, I don't want to watch Yellowstone. Like, well, fuck you. You're watching Yellowstone. It's like, oh, okay. Thanks, Kevin Costner. But we're going to be talking about him. And then uh, we're going to talk about a couple other people. Then we're going to talk about a man that we all love and, uh, it's going to be a fun way to end the year, but until uh, next week, we can talk about Kevin Costner. I have been Ross Bacon. I've been Mike McWigan. See you guys next time. So long.